0: Welcome to the Yoga Meets Movement Science podcast. I'm Jenny Rawlings, a longtime yoga teacher and educator, and I'm joined by my co-host, Dr. Travis Pollan, an exercise science professor and a longtime yogi himself. Together, we take a science-based look at many of the common questions, myths, and controversies that arise in the realms of yoga, movement, and fitness. Join us on this crash course where the worlds of yoga and movement science collide
1: welcome to the yoga meets movement science podcast today we are going to talk all about strength training and range of motion and in order to have this conversation we thought that we would Bring on, uh, or we decided to bring on, or we invited on, a very special guest, one Greg Knuckles. So Greg has his master's degree in exercise and sports science. He has held or holds, and maybe he can correct me there, three all-time world records in powerlifting. He is the co-founder of Stronger by Science. He is one of the founders of Mass, which is a research review for strength sports, and he is also the author of multiple books such as the art and science of lifting he is also the co-creator of macro factor a nutrition app as well as an international speaker gourmet chef and dog owner to oswald so greg thank you so much for joining us for this conversation
2: well thanks for having me on and i gotta say you're you're making me sound much cooler than i really am um and to be clear, I did formerly hold uh, records in powerlifting. Uh, people have gotten a lot stronger than they were back when mm-hmm. I was competing. But, uh, I, you know, b- back in back in my day, I was really something.
1: I My <laughs> my claim to swimming fame is similar. So I held a couple nice. of All-American records. Nice. And they were broken in the last couple of years. I didn't find out until like two years later, which is better for my ego. Nice. Because yeah. I thought like... I just walked around as if I was an American record holder oh, for yeah, a couple for years sure, when I sure. wasn't so I can appreciate that.
0: Very cool. Well, um I definitely don't think that Travis talked to you <laughs> like exaggerated how cool you are. Just just for the record, we are super thankful to have you here today, Greg. <laughs> and another interesting thing uh, about our setting today is that we are here not where we usually record, Travis, but we just so happen to be lucky enough to record this episode in, I guess, what we would call Stronger by Science headquarters. So we're not in a normal spot, but we are in the official podcast recording room uh, of where Greg runs his business, and so it's super cool to be here. And I, well, Greg has actually been an inspiration uh, and someone that both Travis and I have admired for a long time. I've been... Um, a subscribing member of MASS, that research review that Travis mentioned in the intro, which I've, it's, it's, a, it's just such a great way to learn about the science of strength training, which is something that I love to do. But then as, as a yogi, kind of integrating it into yoga and kind of bringing those insights in. But I've just learned a ton from you guys and your work.
2: Well, thank you so much. I, I appreciate it.
0: Yeah. And
1: the link to mass will be in the show notes.
0: Yeah, totally. Yeah, we'll, we'll link to, to that offering. But the main reason, as Travis mentioned in the beginning, the main reason that we invited Greg on today was to chat about strength training and range of motion. Or we might say like strength training and flexibility. And the reason that that's interesting and pertinent for our yoga audience is that yoga and flexibility are kind of intimately connected, as we all know. And uh, so, I mean, yoga is about a lot more than just stretching. I think sometimes people do, there's this idea that all we do in yoga is stretch and there's a ton more than that. But flexibility is certainly a, a key component of, of a yoga practice. And if, to the extent that there could be a connection between flexibility and strength training, I think yogis might want to know about that and yeah, what they might do outside of their practice or even within their practice. So should
1: we also mention Greg's tie to the yoga
2: world?
0: A hundred percent. Thank you for bringing that up, Travis. <laughs> yes, Greg is not just in the strength world. He actually has a yoga connection. Do you want to tell us about that?
2: Uh, I think calling it a connection is <laughs> is overstating it. Uh, but to potentially overstate it further, what, what I tell people, mostly as a joke, is that I have taught yoga at the graduate level. <laughs> and by that, I mean uh, you say that. When, when I was in my master's program, uh, part of that, uh, like for for our um, stipend and tuition remittance, is we basically had to teach PE classes for, for the undergrad students, and uh, we had minimal say over what classes we taught. And so I was assigned to a yoga class uh, one year, and uh, yeah, just, just muddled through it the best I could. I did actually used to do yoga with some regularity. Nice. Um when I was in high school, I had a pretty bad back injury, and I had heard that that yoga was good for that. And so, my senior year, I didn't have uh, a first period, like I didn't have a morning class, and so I would just go to the morning yoga class at the local YMCA. And so That's it was amazing. it was me and just just a room of women who I don't think I don't think there was a single other person in that room under about seventy five years old. <laughs> And you know I'm a I'm a 17 year old boy, and I'm like you know what this is fun. Um, they were so much better at yoga than I was. I was just was. gonna
1: say I bet they were all a lot like more tremendously adapted so. to the practice, oh, especially when you started. Absolutely.
2: So it was uh, it was equal parts fun and humbling.
0: Right. I love that description, and I just I love that you have that experience, and it just when you first told me that you had taught yoga, because you know I've tuned into you in all of your strength and research offerings in this whole other world, I was like blown away when you told me that you had, you had been a yoga teacher. I mean, officially you were, you could say that.
2: (laughs) I mean, theoretically. Right. Yeah.
0: But still, (laughs) it's just a very cool connection. So yeah. I don't think I was a
2: good yoga teacher. I just, I just want to make that clear. actually.
0: I thought that the students liked you.
2: I got good teacher reviews, but I think (laughs) that that may be somewhat disconnected from the actual quality of my yoga instruction. Um, Um, that's, That's part of it though, right? Sure. Yeah. Like a, as a yoga teacher, you would want the students to like you,
1: and right? Like it's tied into the quality of the practice, or they're in, yeah.
0: they're so
2: intertwined.
0: I would think so. Like that inner that interconnection or that relationship.
2: Anyway, it was fun regardless.
0: I'm so glad. and Now you can say and you
1: can add it to your long <laughs> resume.
2: Yeah, sure, <laughs> that works. That works. Taught yoga at
0: the graduate level <laughs> is so funny. The other like no the other thing. two
1: of us in the room who. Have potentially a stronger tie to yoga have not taught yoga at the graduate level
0: that's like you and you and <laughs> yeah you and I have not mm-hmm. taught yoga, oh my gosh, so anyway, yes, so our listeners and our audience can definitely see that there is there is a connection there, and um what gave us the idea, greg to invite you on today? so I think our vision is we love to talk kind of in general about the connection between strength training and flexibility at range of motion. Mm-hmm. But there was a specific reason that we like thought of you, and that was because a few months ago in an issue of Mass, because it's like this monthly review that comes out, a few months ago, there was a research brief, I think it was called, that you wrote, Greg, that was about a specific study that had to do with uh, power lifting, which that's a type of lifting weights mm-hmm. for our aud- audience who might not know. And it was uh, the connection between power lifting and I guess technically the title of the study was power lifting and performance but in the study they measured range of motion and there were these connections between um how uh their level of performance or maybe we could say how strong they were Mm -hmm. and their measurements of range of motion at certain joints and i thought the study was super interesting but what i thought was more interesting was your review and, and interpretation of it And when I read that, I was like, that's something we have to, our listeners are going to love this. We have to talk about it on the podcast. And then I just thought, is there any way that maybe Greg himself could just talk about his own interpretation? So those ideas, maybe we could talk about that study, what you had to say about it. And I'm sure that'll launch us into maybe some bigger, bigger questions around the connection between strength training and range of motion.
2: You know, I'm actually really glad you gave that lead in because... When you told me that we were talking about uh, resistance training and range of motion, I thought you were going to want to talk about another study Wait, that I had what? previously written about. Great. So that's that's kind of what I looked over. So that that's good. No, th- the this, Af-
0: Alfonso one.
2: Uh, yeah. So this this gave me time to look up the the Spence study that yes, I think Spence, yeah. that I think you're referring to. Yeah. So yeah, that's I, I'm, I'm locked and loaded and ready to go either way.
0: I think Travis said that thought I we
1: might talk. I
2: think they're Well.
1: Yeah, yeah, we both both in particular I think are topics of interest for today. But I guess the motivating factor in in particular was the Spence one. Cool, right? Yeah, but yeah. but it, it definitely draws to the bigger picture of the Afonso one that yeah, works
0: b- because I think part of the reason that and we're going to talk about it. But part of the reason the Spence one is extra interesting is in comparison to the Afonso uh study and what because i think it's helped influence us to think one thing about the connection between strengthening range of motion and then the spent study potentially through maybe a question in that direction like we might be like what these don't compute mm-hmm. um but that's why i think kind of bringing it all together in your interpretation
2: cool yeah that that works that works
0: so maybe maybe before diving into the spent study specifically maybe greg could tell us about the the one that came before the afonso Uh, systematic review and meta, I mean, I just realized maybe studying that as a foundation.
2: Yeah, yeah, for sure. So uh, this was published last year, I believe. Uh, The title for anyone who wants to look it up, I'm I'm sure you'll link it in the show notes, was uh, Strength Training versus Stretching for Improving Range of Motion, a Systematic Review and Meta-Analysis. And so this was, I, I think that this pretty comprehensively, at least I hope, uh, debunks a lot of the fears that I think some people still have that uh, resistance training will make you stiff or tight or necessarily reduce your range of motion. Because mm-hmm. um, that that was that was a notion that a lot of people had, and, and like even independent of yoga, um, resistance training took a lot longer to catch on in a lot of sports than it probably should have, because a lot of sports coaches and also strength and conditioning coaches had this idea that lifting weights would make you tight and make you slow. And so, you know, for a sport like football, where being stronger would help you, being faster also helps you. And they thought, oh, man, if people lift, they're going to get too tight. They're going to take shorter strides. They'll get slower. And, and that's going to negatively impact performance. And I think that at least in, like, the SNC world, there's not as much of a concern about that anymore. But I do still think that there are some some general lingering concerns about that. Mm-hmm. And so uh, what this what this meta-analysis did is it, uh, you know it it essentially just like looked at studies where um, one group did stretching, one group did resistance training. Uh, I think there were also sub-analyses where it was just like only looking at studies where resistance training occurred and only looking at studies where stretching occurred. And just kind of like comparing effect estimates, but regardless, in, in general, what it found is not only does resistance training not reduce range of motion, it actually seems to improve range of motion to a degree that is comparable to stretching interventions. Right. Um, and I think there are there there are a few bits of nuance to put behind that. So one is. Uh, The vast majority of the studies in that meta-analysis were just looking at hamstrings flexibility. So, Mm you know, and and, you know that that's actually (laughs) that's actually like an important note for just like a lot of resistance training research. So, like with hypertrophy research, for example. Uh, there are a lot of things where we say like, oh, like this particular mix of variables or this particular intervention is really good for muscle hypertrophy. And you just kind of generalize that to the entire body. But then when you look into the individual studies, most of the time, I mean, for probably over half of the studies in our field, they just look at quad growth. And so like, Mm -hmm. it's not a completely unjustifiable assumption to assume that yeah, whatever grows your quads will probably grow your shoulders and grow your lats as well. But, you know, f- functionally, like most stuff is just looking at quad growth, some biceps, some triceps, but just a, a whole lot of studies looking at quad hypertrophy. Uh, and so it's it's a similar principle here where... Um, you know, I, I do think we can probably conclude that resistance training is generally beneficial for stretching or for, uh, improving range of motion to a, to a degree that's comparable to stretching. Um, but the only, the only thing we know for sure about it is that it definitely works really well for improving hamstrings range of motion. And so, you know, like knee extension range of motion, uh, hip flexion range of motion. And, and I assume that's generalizable, but just, being as, as rigorous as possible. Most of the studies in that meta were testing the hamstring specifically. Um, so that's one thing to note. The other thing to note is that in, um, in most resistance training studies, people are either untrained or not like trained to an elite level for whatever outcome you're interested in measuring. And so like in the resistance training world, we often think about that in terms of, how trained people are at resistance training. But uh, for this particular meta, the thing to consider is how trained are these people for stretching? You know, because these aren't studies on high-level yogis or, like, professional ballet dancers or martial artists, gymnasts. Yeah, people who probably do already have exceptional flexibility so you know it it basically shows that when you take people who haven't done much if any prior flexibility training resistance training does improve range of motion so we -hmm. can't necessarily conclude that you can achieve elite world-class levels of range of motion just via resistance training but we do know that you know it, it can at least start putting you down that road and it doesn't seem to reduce range of motion
1: I think that's super important if we're if our audience is yogis right Mm uh yogis might be more flexible or likely are more flexible than the average bear Mm -hmm. in some of these studies and it's you have to be cautious in extrapolating the results you have to realize that those studies are done on untrained people and so we just don't have A (laughs) meta-analysis of yogis, multiple studies that we've synthesized, uh, studying yogis and comparing the effects of strength training and stretching.
2: Yeah, so this is, like, I'll admit that this is definitely an extrapolation, but if resistance training does increase range of motion in people who are untrained for flexibility-related pursuits... I I don't think it would be a safe assumption to think that it would reduce range of motion for people who already have great range of motion. Like it's, it's theoretically possible. Like that's not kind of in the problem domain that's addressed with those studies. Um, But it, it seems pretty unlikely to me.
1: Hey, quick question for you. Are you someone who wants to be fit, healthy, and happy?
0: So it seems like you would suggest, because I know tra- Travis and I, oh, we spend a lot of time talking to yogis about strength and about how yoga can can build strength, but like only up to a point. Mm-hmm. And if we're truly interested in like real strength, that maybe we need to be doing something else or, you know, maybe bring in a strength um, practice, something like that. But we, we do tend to see, and I think this is just societal anyway, but it definitely comes up in the yoga world that there's sometimes this worry that like, well, in yoga flexibility is really important in order for me to embody these poses. And I'm, I'm afraid that if I strength train, my muscles will get quote tight. And Mm -hmm. so we know that's like a common myth.
2: Well, you know, so I, I don't think it's completely a myth.
0: Right. Yeah. A common Um, belief, I guess I should say.
2: So two, two things to note about where a belief like that might come from in situations where it might be justified. Um, it, and, and one of these like Travis will probably be able to explain better than I can, but so one, so there's a, a temporal component to any sort of adaptation to training.
0: Temporal mean time. Yeah yeah,
2: yeah. yeah. So, um, you know, something will happen immediately after training and very soon after training, and then maybe a very different set of things will happen over time. So yes. for example, um, You know, if you're interested in resistance training and you're like, hey, I'm going to do some bench press because I want a stronger bench press. You go to the gym, you do a hard bench press workout, you come in the next day and you try bench pressing again. And what do you know? You're weaker. You can't lift as much anymore. You don't then conclude bench press training doesn't make me stronger at bench press. It's just my bench press is lower 24 hours after a training session. But over the span of three, six months a year, my bench press should go up. And so it's a very similar thing with flexibility and range of motion. So one of the one of the things you might actually try to measure and assess to ascertain whether someone is recovered from a training session is whether their range of motion has gone back to baseline yet. So going back to bench press like you know, if your pecs are really tight and in general like you're able to almost put your arms straight out to the side and go all the way back to where you can touch your hands behind your back. Like you just have truly incredible like shoulder horizontal extension range of motion. That will be reduced to some extent if your pecs are damaged and sore and inflamed from a training session. Um, You know, same thing with the hamstrings. Like you do a, a hard hamstring training session and then if you try to bend over and touch your toes, Your hamstrings will be kind of guarding against that. Like you you won't, it'll be harder to access the hip flexion range of motion, the knee extension range of motion that you typically would. And so it wouldn't surprise me if people who are very flexible and have never done resistance training, try doing some resistance training and they're like, Oh shit. One day, two day, maybe even three or four days after the session, I'm not as flexible as I used to be. I'm going down a bad road here. Um, (laughs) Whereas, like, you know, if you continue that over several months, like, it, it will potentially improve range of motion. And certainly just as you fully recover from that resistance training session, your flexibility would go back to normal. But certainly acutely, you do experience reductions in flexibility. And so if flexibility is something that really matters to you, I think it might be easy to just observe how range of motion changes and just generally how extensible your muscles feel and just kind of assume you're heading down a bad road but it's yes. just you know a difference between short-term and long-term adaptation. I, I could see
1: that being really scary for a yogi and potentially like they do it a couple of times and they're like oh, i'm not doing that again
2: yeah L- look what happened
1: to my yeah. forward fold. Yeah.
0: yes exactly and I, i've heard that exact comment from people before mm-hmm. we'll say wow. because they know that we're so about strength and sometimes they write with questions and i've had multiple times yogis will write and just say, I, I really do, I understand strength is important, mm-hmm. but when I try strengthening, I just feel tight after, and then I do yoga the next day and I can't get as like deep. And um, I think that, I'm so glad you brought up that distinction between yeah. short-term or long-term or uh, acute and chronic. Yeah, yeah. Because I think it's often the case that maybe we don't realize that there are these distinctions and that the way the body responds in the short-term might be different from long-term and... We know just like you said, you're weaker after a strength training session, you like like acutely, mm-hmm. but it doesn't mean that strength training makes us weak. And yep. so it's like more about like this bigger picture, like stick with it over time and in the longer term bigger picture than mm-hmm. the positive change mm-hmm. that you're looking for.
2: Yeah, so so that that same principle applies to, to flexibility and range of motion. The other thing, and, and like I said, Travis, as a, as a biomechanist, I'm sure you can explain this better than me, but uh, another adaptation to resistance training is it does increase muscular stiffness, which is uh, kind of this the scientific definition of that term, I think is a little bit different from kind of the lay understanding of that term. When people hear muscular stiffness, they think, Oh, like the the muscle won't extend. I can't access a long range of motion anymore. Whereas muscular stiffness is just kind of a resistance to deformation. So, um, you know, like, let's say there's someone who can do a full forward fold, you know, head all the way between their knees, palms on the floor, elbows bent, like they're, they have just tremendous hamstring flexibility, full hip flexion range of motion, um, so, that, that's, that's something that's independent of muscular stiffness. So, it's, it's basically like it will take, if you have stiffer muscles, that describes how resistant they are to, deform, to deformation, not how much extensibility in total they have. So, essentially, if someone has stiffer muscles, it just takes more energetic input to make them extend uh, if they're trying to resist extension. But if they're already kind of relaxed, they can still extend the way you'd want them to, uh, and and you'll be able to uh, achieve the range of motion that you're going for. So uh, resistance training does increase muscular stiffness. Like if if you're trying to resist a muscle extending, um, you know, getting stronger, doing resistance training will help with that. But if you're like Intentionally trying to relax a muscle and access a long range of motion, muscular stiffness isn't really going to work against that.
0: That makes so much sense, and I, um, I'm no biomechanist, but I've learned a little bit about like stiffness, and and I've taught about that before, like how it's just so easy to, to in our in our lay lay people understanding, we think stiff means e- either achy or tight, mm-hmm. which I guess tight, as we know, is also kind of another air quotes word because mm-hmm. what does tight mean? but um but that in a biomechanical sense stiffness isn't really about range of motion it's more about like you said yeah um, that ability to resist deformation and deformation is like a length change i'm just like is that correct to say what deform because in case people don't know what that means deformation
2: travis what? do you do you want to take it from here i <laughs> it's
1: funny because like i wrote a paper co-authored a paper in 2018 we were talking about the Peck minor and some mm-hmm. misconceptions that people had around a short muscle versus a tight muscle versus an adaptively shortened muscle. Mm -hmm. And we ran into issues with reviewers and with engineers who we were working with on the study about the difference between stiffness, extensibility, and elongation and and the relationship between those and short, short shortened and tight. And frankly, I don't even remember what the <laughs> what the conclusion was because everybody like the physical therapy definition versus the mm. mechanical engineering definition for those terms are so different, let alone the jargon or or not the right. jargon the the way that we use it in every day, yeah um, so I don't know so it's, it is confusing and it's it's not only confusing for. It, like it's confusing even for researchers within
2: field one field <laughs> yeah.
1: and across fields.
2: Yeah. So j- just just in a general sense, you want your muscles to be highly extensible. Like if you want them yeah. to be able to get longer to access a long range of motion, you want them to be able to do that. But also f- for most applications, you still want them to be tight. And so a, a good, uh, I, I think the best way to illustrate this is with jumping. So like yeah. the or ju- both jumping and running. Um, So in general, if you want to jump really high or run really fast or, uh, run slowly, but with higher biomechanical efficiency, you want your calves to be very tight. Uh, and the, and the reason you want that is both with jumping and running the actual length of your calf muscles ideally shouldn't change very much. Um, most of, most of, uh, the, the plantar flexion that occurs is going to be from your Achilles tendon. Like when you're, um, like when your ankle goes into dorsiflexion, your calves aren't changing length much, but your Achilles tendon does. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then it kind of stores elastic energy. And as you try to jump or take the next stride, uh, that that elastic energy is released. And that's a, that's a very good way to do it. One, because your Achilles tendon is really big and really strong and can release a lot of power when it kind of un, uncoils that elastic energy. But two, it's just a very energy-efficient way to do it because that's, that's just a purely passive thing going on. It's, it's change in length of a passive tissue, whereas if your calf muscles did actually lengthen as you squatted down into a jump or as your foot landed for a stride, then you know, it's going to take active chemical energy turnover mm-hmm. to, for your calf to contract and shorten again for that jump or for that next stride. And so if a muscle is stiff essentially like when when that foot hits the ground initially uh your calf muscle will do a better job of resisting elongation so that your achilles tendon can do more of that passive work and ultimately it's more energy efficient you run faster you jump higher but you also don't want your calves to be just super super tight so you can have really flexible calves where If you were stretching your calves and you're trying to get it to relax and you're trying to access just a ton of dorsiflexion range of motion, you can have that if your muscle is extensible. But then tightness is just a completely different variable (laughs) where it helps you just be more efficient in most athletic things you'd want to do. So you want your muscles to be both extensible but also tight, and resistance training does that for you. Whereas if you're just doing stretching, it will increase the extensibility of a muscle but it either won't affect the tightness of a muscle, uh, or the, I keep saying tightness, I mean stiffness. I was going to ask it, that, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It either won't affect the stiffness of a muscle or it'll reduce the stiffness of a muscle. So, uh, yeah, generally you want it to be both stiff and extensible. And you get that with resistance training. And uh, most other ways you'd increase the extensibility of a muscle either decreases stiffness or has a neutral effect on stiffness.
0: Thank you so much for explaining that. It's like these two... Uh, different concepts that really they're 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 not binary and they're not opposites so we had yeah, both. and
2: i probably just made that even more confusing by just <laughs> saying tightness seven times when i meant stiffness oh but gosh. for for the entire last I thing i said i i meant i meant <laughs> stiffness every time i said tightness and i'm very embarrassed now
0: <laughs> but i think it's just so easy to do because people just think stiff means t- it's i i think it's partly what it's it's I mean, if I'm not women. talking
2: about science, if I'm if I'm just having a conversation with anyone in my life uh, who doesn't want me to just, like, throw study titles and authors at them, right. I'm going to use the two terms interchangeably.
0: There you go. Yeah. Thank you for saying that. Yeah. Yeah. And so I think it's just good for us to realize context because it's easy to throw terms around. Yeah. And that's fine. But, like, when we really wanted to talk, I guess, scientifically, just clarifying our definitions for what we mean when we use them so we yeah. all know we're talking about the same stuff.
2: Right. So if... If yogis are listening to this, I assume they are, yeah, and, so. and you, you either come across someone online saying that resistance training increases muscle stiffness, or you come across a scientific paper saying resistance training increases muscle stiffness, and you see that and you get scared, and you're like, oh no, right. if it's increasing stiffness, that's going to make me less flexible, it's going to reduce my range of motion, it won't. That's, that's not how stiffness works. It's a, it's a completely different concept
0: just a quick moment to interject and to thank you for listening to this episode of the yoga meets movement science podcast we hope you've been enjoying listening to greg share his insights on strength training and range of motion and we hope you appreciate how deeply knowledgeable and in touch with the scientific research on these topics he is as we mentioned earlier travis and i both learn a lot from greg and the science-based approach we take in our own work especially in our Strength for Yoga offering, is definitely inspired by him. If this conversation inspires you to consider bringing strength training into your movement practice, consider Travis's and my Strength for Yoga Remote Group Training Program, which is a monthly strength program we created to make strength training accessible and relevant for yogis. Our Strength for Yoga program also comes with unlimited access to my full yoga class library. Use code PODCAST30 for 30% off your first month in our program or your first month in any other membership on my website. You can learn more and sign up at jennyrawlings.com, and the link is in the show notes. And now back to our episode.
2: And you see that and you get scared and you're like, oh no, if it's increasing stiffness, that's going to make me less flexible. It's going to reduce my range of motion. It won't. That's. That's not how stiffness works. It's a it's a completely different concept.
0: Right. And it's something ideally that you want, especially for, like you said, like a lot of athletic endeavors and yeah. in general. Right. We want um, our muscles to be stiff and also like our tendons and ligaments to be stiff. What do you say? Or am I like um, opening a can of worms there?
2: <laughs> hmm. Yes. I mean, ligaments for sure. Uh, tendons. Does the same concept of stiffness apply to tendons? I think so. I think so. They're all. I'm not a tendon. They're guy. all the same <laughs> thing. Yeah. I'm, the
1: muscular-tendinous junction it's all one thing. Yeah.
0: Right. Um,
2: yeah. Yeah. I guess you want them to be. I guess you want them to be stiff as well. Whatever. That's that's yeah. too far afield because we're. I mean, we're we're primarily when we're talking about flexibility, which I think is what we're trying to get yeah. back to.
0: Yeah.
2: Ultimately, you're you're talking more about muscle stiffness than tendon stiffness.
0: That makes so much sense. Yeah. Cool. So I think that you've done an excellent job kind of just out outlaying that, the f- um, that where it seems like research is pointing us today is that strength training does not reduce flexibility. It doesn't make you, quote, tight. Uh, and so we don't have to worry about that. Like if we're yogis and we've heard about, if we're starting to realize that maybe our yoga practice doesn't give us all the strength we might want, and if that's a goal, We don't need to be afraid of bringing something like like an actual weightlifting practice into our life or something. We don't have to worry that we'll decrease range of motion. So maybe, though, we could talk about the SPENT study because Mm -hmm. you've kind of established that we seem to understand that strength training does not decrease range of motion. But then there's this other study that came out that you wrote about, which I read, and that's kind of why I wanted you to come talk about this. Seem like that study kind of could be a little confusing, maybe if you look at it on the surface.
2: So there, there are two spin studies. So there was one from uh, there was one from 2021, and then one that was published in early 2022, and they were basically the exact same study, but one was with female powerlifters and one was with male powerlifters, and so um, so they
1: milked it and got two publications out of one.
2: As they should, you know that's you that's do the, that's gotta the gotta game do. everyone else plays. So you well, you would be a fool to not also t- participate. T-
1: truthfully, I'm guilty
2: as charged. But there's there are word
1: limits in journals. Yeah, so some,
2: some good old salami slicing can. Well, yeah, yeah.
1: It, it, it's it's helpful to see that it was probably from one data collection. But at the same time, there are reasons why you might want to analyze the the data separately for men and women. And then with the journals, there are word limits that would. Prohibit you from being able to publish all of that in one paper.
2: Correct. Yeah. So um, let's see. So I'll I'll start with the with the spin study on female powerlifters. Yeah. Uh, essentially, so both of these studies compared the range of motion of, I mean, like most most planes of motion, most joints in the body. Like it, it was pretty comp. It was a pretty comprehensive range of motion assessment, and both of them compared powerlifters versus untrained controls. And the original study on female powerlifters found that uh, they had pretty comparable range of motion in most joints to untrained controls, or maybe slightly greater range of motion in some planes of motion for some joints, which, you know, is is consistent with the idea that resistance training has a neutral to positive impact on range of motion. Mm -hmm. But then a couple months later, uh, a very similar study on male powerlifters is published, and they find that in uh several joints and several planes of motion the male power lifters had less range of motion than untrained control subjects or, or i think they were recreationally trained subjects were, yeah um,
0: but not competitive right right was not the difference yeah so,
2: so people who lifted a little bit but weren't like super serious about it and so that that seems to conflict with the idea right. that doing a lot of resistance training would have a neutral to positive effect on range of motion if these male powerlifters do have reduced range of motion relative to recreationally trained subjects. Uh, But what I proposed in that article is that, so, you know, when when people think about flexibility, the first thing that comes to mind for, for good reason is just how extensible a tissue is, right? So if you're interested in, say, triceps flexibility, you might primarily think just how extensible are my triceps, how much can can those muscles lengthen to allow me to flex my elbow but there's another consideration in play, and that's just how big are your biceps because <laughs> muscle muscle tissue takes up volume, it takes up space, and it is not infinitely compressible and so uh like if if you've ever been in the same room as like an i f b b bodybuilder like one of those people who's on a ton of steroids, and is just <laughs> outrageously jacked. They they have muscles where you didn't think muscles even existed. Um, like they they have reduced range of motion in just about every joint because, regardless of how extensible their muscles are, they're just so big. They have so much muscle, like. There, there is a finite amount that they can flex their knee because their hamstrings and calves are so big. You totally, know what I mean?
0: They push into each other. Yeah. They meet.
2: And so I think that that's primarily what's going on with the study of male powerlifters. And one thing to back that up is in that study, they actually found that reduced range of motion was correlated with greater success in powerlifting. So right. the, the bigger, stronger people who are more successful powerlifters also had reduced range of motion which you could interpret that to mean oh yeah doing more and more powerlifting reduces tissue extensibility or it could mean and this is what i suspect doing more and more powerlifting just builds more and more muscle and at some point regardless of tissue extensibility that's going to reduce range of motion just just because you just have so much muscle and it can only compress but so much and so i think that uh I think the basic takeaway is that like no one gets too muscular by accident. Like it Oh yeah. Th- that just doesn't happen. Per se, no. Everybody's um,
1: trying to do that and, right. and yeah. struggling. Right. Or that the people who do want to do it struggle to do
2: it. And so uh I think you probably don't have to worry about resistance training reducing your range of motion until you until you can look in the mirror and say like I'm pretty fucking jacked. Like it's, (laughs) it's, it's, it's not, you know, it's not going to happen after three months of resistance training or three years of resistance training. And it'll probably never happen for most people unless you either, you know, do some vitamin S or you picked really great parents for hypertrophy. Like most, I I think most people just simply don't have the genetics to to build that much muscle in the first place. I think
1: a lot of people think like, oh, I'm going to start strength training I'm just going to put on slabs and slabs of muscle. That'd be nice. Yeah. And and maybe (laughs) maybe at first the the rate of growth, and I'm sure maybe you know this, is is higher. And Mm then, you know, it asymptotes out. But uh, like bodybuilders who've been doing it for a long time, if they put on a couple pounds of muscle in a year, like from one show to the next 12 months later, like they're they're tickled yeah they're excited sure. about two pounds of muscle like right? that's yeah, not yeah. very much y- y- yeah, like, yeah. And, and you're they're they're showing their la- their before and after pictures and they're like look at how much progress and y- you made and for the the person who's not um a seasoned viewer of those types of things they're like well they were jacked before and they were jacked after i see yeah. that they were 168 natural bodybuilders like I see. They were 168 pounds before and 170 pounds after. Yeah. Um. And and to them, like they made a ton of progress in one year. Yeah, yeah. But for it's, sure, it's small.
2: Yeah. And so I, I think that's like, uh, I think that's probably what's going on here because especially um, like in this study where, where they're finding reduced shoulder range of motion in some planes, like that that can absolutely happen. So they they found that the male powerlifters had reduced. Uh, shoulder extension range of motion, and
0: that's like arm, back. which is
2: arm back.
0: Just to clarify,
2: and like, dude, if your lats get big enough, your arms just don't go back that far. Lats like yeah, in the way, or like a shoulder horizontal extension, so like arms out to the side, and uh, you know, like like you're like you're gonna fly. Um, <laughs> you know, if if your rhomboids and mid traps get really big, like the 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 extent to which you can you can put your arms behind your body from straight out that's going to depend to some extent on how well like how much you can retract your scapulae uh,
0: and yeah, yeah yeah you know
2: if if your mid traps and your rhomboids like they're between your scapulae if they're huge you just can't retract your scapulae as far so like that's that's going to reduce range of motion there to some extent and so yeah i i think i think that's basically what's going on in those studies um and again, like that's that's something where, if someone decides like, hey, I want to do resistance training, I'm worried about range of motion. For the first five years of your <laughs> resistance training journey, that's that's not something that's ever going to have to come to mind. Like that's that is a realm that you might find yourself in if you do a decade of really dedicated hypertrophy training, and you picked great parents for hypertrophy in the first place. Right. right. Yeah, that
0: totally makes sense. I think another thing you wrote about that study in your research brief was that the testing of the range of motion that was done uh, in this specific study was not passive range of motion. It wasn't, but it was actually active range of motion. Do you remember that? Do you know what I'm talking yeah, about? Yeah, yeah.
2: So the, so they, they were, and, and that's a good thing to bring up as well. They were all active range of motion tests, which further exacerbates what I'm mm-hmm. describing mm-hmm. right now. Cause again, like if you're trying to do like active uh, shoulder extension, you're using your lats to do that. Like yeah. that's your primary shoulder uh, extender. And so, you know, that that will cause the lats to tense up a little bit, which inherently makes them less compressible than they would otherwise be. Right. If you were doing a passive range of motion test, uh, same thing with like the mid traps and rhomboids. Like if you're, like actively retracting your scapulae, you're doing that with your mid-traps and rhomboids. Like you're 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 tensing them, like they're contracting, which which makes them less compressible.
0: They like it harder, kind of? Yeah, yeah.
2: Yeah. Um which I'll note is is actually like kind of a cool thing. Uh, this might be a little bit too far afield, but in in some research now, like, and I'm not exactly sure how this measurement works, but I think I think they use ultrasound to Assess muscle hardness as like a measure of contraction intensity. So, um, like m- most studies, still use EMG, like they're they're measuring electrical impulses. But you can actually measure just muscle hardness as oh. as a metric for for how hard a muscle is working. No, I've never heard of that. Yeah, so like it, as as a when a muscle goes from being completely relaxed, not contracting at all, to contracting a little bit. It gets quite a bit harder. And then as you, you know, contract it harder and harder, the muscle itself gets harder and harder and less compressible. And like you, you can feel that for yourself right now. Like just squeeze your bicep with your arm completely relaxed and then flex your bicep as hard as you possibly can. Squeeze it again. You just can't squeeze squeeze it as much. Like it, it oh, becomes less don't. compressible. Yeah.
0: That totally makes sense. Yeah so if you're thinking about shoulder extension or i think in your um, research brief you also talked about hip extension mm-hmm. which that's taking the leg the thigh back behind you and you were saying if i do that actively then it's like your glutes are contracting and becoming hard in order to pull the leg back so mm-hmm. it's, so that just kind of works against being that's able actually to one of the actually could
1: like the manual muscle tests are a maximal voluntary isometric contraction position for the glutes yeah so Testing uh-huh. active range of motion of the glutes in a way that's supposed to elicit a, mo- a maximum voluntary isometric contraction of the glutes yeah. is like, well, are we really testing the extensibility of the hip flexors in that position? Yeah, not so much. Oh. It's, it's a measure of range of motion, for sure. Yeah, But it's not like, like you pointed out in the, your research review. It's uh, If they had tested passive range of motion, it, the results might have been different. Yeah, for sure.
0: That totally makes sense. Yeah, so I guess, again, just getting clear on terms is a good good thing. Like when we talk about range of motion, that's just kind of a description of how far a joint can move. But if we're talking about tissue extensibility, that's more the muscle being stretched, how far can it lengthen? Yeah. Versus something like um, the muscles contracting on the other Mm -hmm. side of the joint versus your term that you used in the article, which was finite tissue compressibility. I think Mm -hmm. that was the term. That's like another factor that can... So range of motion could be this overarching like bucket... Term, yeah. but then it really could be a little more fine-tuned when we kind of break it down.
2: Yeah, and, and for for most people, like unless you do just have a tremendous amount of muscle tissue, uh, generally flexibility range of motion is going to be limited by tissue extensibility mm-hmm. first and foremost, and then uh, j- just just constraints due to say joint geometry. Yes. Secondly, so you know if if you say just have uh hips that aren't built for internal rotation uh maybe your hip internal rotation is never going to be that good and it's not because your external rotators are super tight it's just because that's how your hips are built
0: totally
2: um so yeah for for most people in most contexts those are going to be the two things limiting range of motion and that that will even be the case for 90 percent of lifters but you know, when you get big enough, then <laughs> then uh, tissue compressibility comes into into play.
0: And you also mentioned that that Spence had the two studies, and the earlier one was done on females, and yeah. the later one was done on males. But with females, there was actually not a difference in range of motion between. Mm-hmm. Or I think I'm maybe like generalizing, but there wasn't much difference for, between the powerlifters and the untrained.
2: For most joints and most planes of motion, there there wasn't much of a difference. And when there were differences, it was the female powerlifters being more flexible than the recreationally trained subjects. Wow. Yeah.
0: And, I'm sorry. Like, I, and,
2: and I hope, I hope this won't be too controversial to say, but women tend to not build as much muscle as men. (laughs) So, so like, not only is this, not only is building too much muscle not a concern for the vast majority of male lifters. It's probably not a concern at all for virtually any female lifters. Like there there are some women <laughs> who do build a tremendous amount of muscle, but it's mm-hmm. I mean, y- you can see that with gymnasts. Like female gymnasts are really fucking jacked. Like <laughs> they are they're they're tiny. They're very uh vertically small but people, but in terms of muscularity, I mean a lot of gymnasts have muscularity that is on par with female powerlifters. And they they also have just tremendous flexibility. So,
0: absolutely. That's a good point.
2: Yeah, you, you I mean if if Simone Biles doesn't have to worry about flexibility like her, she has tremendous flexibility, uh people listening to this probably don't need to worry about it either.
0: That's a, yeah. And I would think I would think for many yogis, a, a goal would be to have both, have, mm-hmm. be both flexible and be strong through all of those ranges. So maybe that brings us back a little bit to uh, the Afonso study, uh, mm-hmm. which, which you talked about before and how that like was uh, the systematic review that really helped support the idea that strength training is an efficient means of increasing flexibility. But Greg, did, did that study and maybe just general thinking in general on this topic... Do we is it thought that strength training increases flexibility faster than say passive stretching or maybe what might be called static stretching or are they the same or is it less?
2: So in in that meta analysis, it, it was head to head comparisons. So you know, eight weeks of resistance training versus eight weeks of stretching. So that you know the the speed component is already baked in. If you're seeing similar amounts of like total range of motion gains that necessarily implies that the rates of gains were uh well i mean i guess it could have been like a different time course over that eight week period but at least like averaged over eight weeks it would be the same um i suspect i suspect that if there is a difference it might be a little bit faster with stretching than resistance training um because because ultimately like with with both of them there's a shared mechanism by which range of motion can increase and that's that's just simply the muscles getting longer so uh in in jargon we would say an increase in sarcomeres in series so your skeletal muscles the 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 smallest contractile unit of a skeletal muscle is called a sarcomere and you know a, a single muscle might have what you you w- would probably know this better than me. Thousands, <laughs> tens of thousands, maybe hundreds of thousands of sarcomeres in series, like one lined up after the other, from one tendon, like from your from your origin tendon to your insertion tendon, uh, and so things that put a stretch stimulus on a muscle uh, can increase sarcomeres in series. So basically, like if your biceps were previously and this is just a random number I'm throwing out there, if they were previously 100,000 sarcomeres long, if you increase sarcomeres in series, uh, they might become 120,000 sarcomeres long. And Mm -hmm. each sarcomere, and and this is is like a a hard physical constraint, each sarcomere can only extend but so far, otherwise it just tears, like it ruptures. Um, So by increasing sarcomeres in series, that does directly increase... The total extent to which a muscle can extend, uh, and so you can get that. And so, like that's probably the primary reason that resistance training can increase range of motion. If you're training through a long range of motion, and mm-hmm. resistance training probably increases. In I'm not sure, I'm not aware of direct research on this, but I suspect resistance training through a full range of motion probably increases sarcomeres in series faster than stretching does Um, Mm -hmm. in part because resistance training is going to cause more muscle damage and will therefore be a stronger stimulus for muscle remodeling and so if you're putting a stretch stimulus on a muscle where muscle damage is present where remodeling is going where more remodeling is going to have to happen and it's going to have to happen a little bit faster just to recover from that stressor you're, you're probably going to see i would assume a Faster increase in sarcomeres in series, but then the other mm. important mechanism is just simply stretch tolerance. Right. So, I, if someone has never done any stretching before, when they try to stretch a muscle, they probably don't actually reach the full end range of motion for that muscle, and so that that's something that's going to be more kind of neurally mediated, mm-hmm. um, and it's it's just a matter of like your nervous system getting comfortable with you stretching further and further, accessing more and more range of motion. Um, and I kind of assumed that that adaptation would take place faster with stretching than, than resistance training, primarily because like you are like, if if you say you're doing resistance training through a full range of motion, you're probably not, it's probably just through a long range of motion, not like a, a theoretically oh. full range of motion. Like, I mean, so... so Depends go, on the exercise, right? So like going back to forward fold, right? Yeah. Um, If you were to do a comparable resistance training exercise, it might be a stiff leg deadlift or or a Romanian deadlift. Yeah. And if you do that stiff leg or Romanian deadlift through... What you perceive to be a full range of motion, like you're going all the way down until you feel a pretty deep stretch in your hamstrings before you come back up, like you're probably not getting quite as low and not doing like and not uh, getting into quite as much hip flexion as you would if you were just doing a forward fold and and just yeah. trying to pull your body yeah. lower and lower. Um, because, I mean, there there is some external resistance there. Like, you can't fully relax into it as much as you otherwise would be able to. Yeah. So, I, so I suspect you probably, like, of those two mechanisms, I think probably stretch tolerance would increase a little bit quicker with just pure stretching flexibility training. And you'd probably add sarcomeres in series a little bit quicker with resistance training. Uh, and in general, neural adaptations tend to take place faster and sooner than structural adaptations do. Like, uh, you know, and, and you can see this with, with strength training. Like if you go to the gym the first time, maybe you try to bench press, and, and you can barely bench press the bar. And then you, uh, you know, you, you work out for, say, two months, and now you can bench press 75 pounds or something. That's a that's what Close to like a 60% increase in strength, like yeah. the, the external resistance you can move. In that process, your pecs and triceps haven't gotten 60% <laughs> that bigger. Would be kind of
0: crazy. Like
2: your pecs and triceps may not get 60% bigger <laughs> over the course of your entire training career. <laughs> and so right. mo- most of those strength adaptations you're seeing early on are more neural adaptations than structural adaptations. I think the same place is, or the same thing is probably taking place with stretch training. So uh, there will be structural adaptations, those that increase in sarcomeres in series, but most of the early adaptations will likely be neural adaptations. And I think that those neural adaptations will probably take place a little bit faster from just stretching and flexibility training than resistance training. So I, I think that. Uh, You know, maybe over the time course of two or three months, you would see similar gains in flexibility with resistance training and stretching. But I think maybe over the first two weeks, you would probably see larger gains from the flexibility training.
0: That is fascinating. Thank you so much for outlining that.
2: And I'll note, I could be totally wrong about that. Like I'm, I will fully, I will fully admit I'm extrapolating from mechanisms here, but that's, that's what my assumption would be.
0: Thank you so much for sharing that, and that that makes sense. I mean, I you're I get you're extrapolating, but it's based on a lot of knowledge and about the physiology of how these processes work. And my understanding is that some like something like stretch tolerance, mm-hmm. the exact mechanism for how it works is kind of not really known anyway. So it's like, do we even really know? Like, it makes sense that at some point we just have to extrapolate on some of these mechanisms. Because... Yeah,
2: I mean, I I don't think all of the I don't think all of the details are known. I, I do mm-hmm. think the basics are somewhat well understood, though. Like, um, it, it's it's kind of the same way that your it's kind of the same way that your nerves can like habituate to most stimuli, um, like in in particularly like noxious stimuli. So mm-hmm. if you say, I don't know. Uh, like if you started working in a in a meat processing plant or something and you're you're spending all day uh, cutting up you know frozen or very very cold chicken or beef or whatever um like if if you've ever handled raw meat just in like preparing a meal or something like a, a frozen frozen stuff's fucking cold it is it's really cold comfortable and uh, you know so i i don't handle that many frozen things and when i do it takes like 3 minutes before I'm like, dude, my hands are uncomfortably cold right now. This is terrible. I'm I'm miserable. I'm going to stop what I'm doing. I'm going to get some hot water running in the sink and I'm just going to try to warm my hands up before I before once more into the breach, you know. <laughs> um but, you know, if if you do that for days, weeks, months, um you know, the the stimulus is the same. Like the the cold your hands are experiencing is the same, but like you start like you're, you either consciously or subconsciously, like your nervous system kind of stops perceiving that as quite as noxious of a stimulus, mm-hmm. uh, just because to some extent, you habituate to it. And so it's it's similar with stretching. Like you're you're putting t- tension on muscles that nerve endings will sense and if if a large amount of tension on those tissues isn't something that those nerves are used to sensing and experiencing the signals they're sending up to the brain is like ooh, new thing is happening i don't like it it's bad it's scary but then you do it for a while uh you know those nerves are exposed to the same theoretically noxious stimulus more and more Uh, nothing catastrophically bad happens and yeah, you know, I mean, I'm I'm personifying nerve endings right now, but it, es- <laughs> essentially, essentially, they figure out like, oh, I can I can kind of relax. Nothing scary or bad is happening. I can let this tissue extend a little bit further.
0: That makes so much sense. Like uh, that process of habituation, or just mm-hmm. yeah getting you feeling more comfortable there, realizing it's okay, like if yeah. you're...
2: I don't know why the first place my brain went was a meatpacking plant. <laughs> I, could have, I could have gone any other number right. of directions there, but whatever, that's that's what we recorded, that's what we're seeing. We know where about. your head's at. Yeah. <laughs> that's
0: really funny. It, it totally worked, though. I mean, to- touching cold stuff, I know what you're talking about. Yeah. Well, that discussion got me thinking about... There, there are certain claims that... That we tend to hear, especially in the old world, but maybe in the overarching movement and fitness Mm -hmm. worlds that, so I think it's really interesting that you suggested that you think actually passive stretching may be more efficient, uh, at increasing, like it's just faster means of increasing flexibility Mm -hmm. via the stretch tolerance mechanism compared to strength training. Mm -hmm. But I think there are a lot of claims out there that it's like the reverse that, uh, that strength training, or just what might be called like um, quote active stretching, where mm-hmm. it's not necessarily strengthening, like maybe the loads aren't enough, but your muscles are still active as you're stretching. Mm-hmm. There are these ideas that those are more efficient means of increasing flexibility.
2: Well, I, I mean, I think that that's uh, I think that's an important point to bring forward. Where um, it. it I think it's tempting to dichotomize this. Like strength training, stretching, two completely separate things. And so, ooh, it's interesting that they have some of the same effects. But I I think that that's actually not correct. Like Mm -hmm. ultimately, um, you know, like like strength training is also stretch, or strength training can also be stretching and stretching can also be strength training. And there's, you know, there, there's kind of some fuzziness in between the two mm-hmm. where, um, you know, so uh, uh, strength training with like a stretching component would be like the RDLs or stiff leg deadlifts I mentioned earlier, yeah. where instead of just trying to load the bar up with the most weight possible that you can do for eight reps or something, maybe you go with a slightly lighter weight and you're really intentional about trying to go down on the eccentric each rep until you feel a really deep stretch in your in your hamstrings. Like you're still doing an RDL. Like I, I think if you're trying to put it in one of those two buckets, you'd say like, oh yeah, this is definitely resistance training. But you're definitely doing some stretching with it as well, you know? Right. And the same thing could apply to say like chest flies. You can either grab the, the heaviest dumbbells that you can control through a decent range of motion and, and try to do eight to 10 reps, or you can take 30, like you could grab like 30 40 percent lighter dumbbells and every single rep you go down until you just feel a really really deep stretch in your pecs and come back up it's still resistance training but you're you're definitely like there's definitely still a stretch stimulus there and the same thing would apply to something like uh like pnf style stretch oh, we were gonna
0: ask you about pnF yeah.
2: um where you know like it it's uh, partner-assisted thing, or, or for some muscles, you can kind of do it yourself. Self, yeah. You go, like you, you uh, get into a range of motion where you're, where you're already feeling a stretch on the target tissue. And then you do like a really, really intense isometric contraction. And then when you relax, you can access greater range of motion. Um, and, and I think that, I think that that's kind of just speeding up that habituation of those nerves like the the stretch tolerance stuff because like ultimately like they're they're sin they're sensing tension on the muscle and so like as it's as it's stretching there those nerves are feeling passive tension on the muscle but then when you contract the muscle you're adding active tension into it as well without you know moving into a, a less challenging range of motion and so that that's kind of like hyper stimulating those nerves that are sensing that stretch and so then when you relax when you remove that active tension then they're like oh well you know i guess we can feel some more passive tension now because that amount of active (laughs) tension was ultimately fine you know so um but you know it's it's a really intense isometric contraction like just as one would do isometrics and strength training so that's that's a a predominantly stretching based thing still with like a pretty intense resistance training component to it as well. So they're, they're not fully separated. Like you can, you can use stretching to enhance resistance training. You can use, uh, like really, really intense muscle contractions to enhance stretching like the, the, the two coexist. And I, I don't think there is a really, really bright line between the two.
1: So whether you're standing and doing a Romanian deadlift, into a really deep range of motion, and you could have, like imagine a snapshot of yourself there. Mm-hmm. You pause for a second in that lengthened contraction, or you're on your back and somebody's stretched you into a straight leg raise, and then you contract against them in that position. Yeah. Like you flip that a quarter way to gravity, and the position's the same. Right. In one, you were strength training, and the other you were stretching. But in both, in both instances, you're doing uh, the same sort of muscular effort in yeah, a yeah. in a really lengthened position. Yeah, for sure.
0: Wow, that makes it. Thank you for for laying that out as well because I think it is so easy for us to kind of dichotomize mm-hmm. uh, these concepts and a lot of things about the body in general. But but consider thinking about stretching and strengthening as uh, necessarily separate activities, and then these beliefs get layered on that they're binary. Like the more strength you have, the less flexibility, and vice versa. Mm-hmm. But they can be overlapping at the same time. And I think I wonder I wonder if you have any thoughts about this, but I, I've changed, uh, I think I've, I've been evolving in how I think about like active versus passive stretching. This is like some language that, that I've learned and picked up and used in the past. Mm-hmm. Like that there are these like strong distinctions between when you're actively stretching versus passively. And what you were saying about that spectrum from kind of like stretching to strengthening and it not being so separate. Mm-hmm. I've been wondering about like those distinctions between the concepts of active and passive and if it's really that important to categorize them as separate, is it more just like a continuous, continue meaning, meaning like passive meaning that you're completely relaxed and an active structure would be that you're really actively working those muscles. Like, is there always some maybe?
2: Yeah, no, I I knew what you were asking. I was, (laughs) I was quickly trying to come up with an answer as you were asking the question, um, Yeah, I mean, I, I do think that, um, so I, I think just, just purely on like a fundamental level, you can't, you can't draw like a completely bright line between the two either because like ultimately when you're stretching something, no matter how passively you try to stretch something, there's still going to be a fair bit of tension on the muscle. And there's also still going to be like some degree of, of contractile activity within the muscle, um, you know, unless
1: and, you're like knocked out, unless you're knocked out, yeah. which right. is like they have to there are certain special tests in orthopedics that like they can only do on you when right. you're on the operating table.
2: Yeah, yeah. So so unless there's just no neural impulse right. or input going to the muscle, like, you know, even if you're not like say activating the motor cortex of your brain to intentionally contract a muscle right. just by putting it in stretch, like that's going to activate like reflex arcs, like at the spinal cord level that is going to cause some degree of muscle contraction. Um, so yeah, I mean the, like there, there's always going to be some degree of active component and, and also like even with active stretching, at least to make it effective, there's going to be some amount of passivity as well so you know let's say you're doing like leg swings like leg kicks to warm up your or to to uh warm up everything around your hip but then also like on the way back you're trying to stretch your hip flexors and on the way up you're trying to stretch your hamstrings and hip extensors um i mean that's not going to happen if when you're kicking your leg up you're not also relaxing your hamstrings you know like if you're if you're trying to contract your hamstring super hard as you're kicking your leg up, your leg's not going to get that high. You're not going to feel that active stretch at the top. So like even active stretching is just alternating passive and active stuff, Mm -hmm. you know, like what you're, you're um, like, if if you're, if you're moving into say shoulder flexion, you kind of have to relax your shoulder extensors and vice versa. So you know, oh. you're, there, there's like cyclical active and passive muscle actions going on there as well.
0: That totally makes sense. So they're not necessarily, yeah, like so, so separate, like they yeah. seem really intertwined or two sides of the same coin.
2: You know, it's, so it, it's kind of interesting because I, I come not from the yoga world, but from more of like the S and C world, yeah. um, like strength and conditioning and, mm-hmm like at least for for most team sports you wouldn't really say like uh you really wouldn't say active stretching like most people would just call that a dynamic warm up yes um, yes and and i think that it i think that the way it's used in snc is pretty smart for the most part because like you know you are you are trying to lengthen some tissues but also like you're just getting your body moving uh you're getting some blood flowing you're, you're increasing the temperature within the muscles that you're either about to stretch or about to train. And like, that's also just going to help as well. So I- increasing the tissue or the the temperature in a muscle is going to increase, um, muscle extensibility to some right, extent. Right. Uh, like it's, it's going to make the soft tissues just a little bit more relaxed, a little bit more extensible. Um, it's going to decrease the viscosity of your sarcoplasm ever so slightly um so yeah like just bringing the temperature up can can help with really anything that that comes afterwards so like yeah when i think active stretching like when you said that term (laughs) it took it took me half a second to remember what is active stretching i was like oh yeah dynamic warm-up um
0: Oh, that makes so much sense. And
2: so I, I do think that it, uh, I, I do think that there's like sequencing implications there. Like I, I do think it's probably yeah. going to be more effective to do what would be traditionally thought of as active stretching followed by passive stretching instead of the other way around. Um, but I mean,
0: why do you think that that would be, be better?
2: Uh, because passive stretching isn't going to be as much of a general warm up. It's not going to increase the temperature in the muscles quite as much. So, you know, do that first, kind of get the blood flow and get everything moving. And then, you know, in in my case, I generally then be getting under the bar. In your case, Mm. you would generally be getting into, uh, you know, something that might be closer to a passive stretch. Mm -hmm. But either either way, it's going to make, it's just going to help your body function a little bit better for whatever comes next.
0: Yeah, dynamic warm-up or dynamic stretching is still like another form of stretching Mm -hmm. but just like with movement involved and then there's static stretching and there's active there are all these like ways that we kind of categorize it but maybe we could step back and just see it all as like movement through a full range with these like different qualities Mm -hmm. but thanks for just making that uh, outlining that making that a little clearer for us and because you're not because so you, you are a yoga teacher at the graduate level.
2: I but, I have been previously.
0: But I, I don't think you're super in tune with like the, the yoga world these like all like some of the just the current trends that kind of abound in yoga No, land.
2: Absolutely. I mean every time you come over on the weekend and, and spill the tea on whatever the hot gosses in yoga <laughs> these days, I, I always find it uh, entertaining yes because I'm so yeah it, it, that is not a, a community i'm plugged into
0: right and, and so I, I
2: i enjoy learning about the controversies in, in <laughs> yoga largely from you but right, that's, right, right. That's not something I would come across myself.
0: That's yeah, you're like not tuned into those networks. I'm, I'm
2: a little bit
1: tuned into both, so it's always fun to see like yeah. what each one's arguing about.
0: Yeah, and I always love just on the flip side, I love hearing about some of the fitness controversies that I might not I feel like I'm tuning a little bit, but not too. Like some of the stuff we've talked about, there's there's a lot there. <laughs> but yeah, so the yoga Yoga Land kind of has its fair share of like these controversies or arguments and. So one trend that I think Travis and I have just kind of seen, I kind of already said this in a previous question, but just just these ideas, like, again, yoga is more complex than just being about a bunch of passive stretching. That's not all that it is, although that's kind of a stereotype yeah. about it. So you might think, like, for, for years, yoga's been kind of uh, more on this passive stretching side. But more recently, these days, there's kind of this trend toward... Again, if we're going to dichotomize and label a trend toward placing more value on active stretching and Mm -hmm. these ideas that uh, sometimes that passive stretching is like inherently dangerous or um, injurious and that active stretching is the only safe stretching uh, and that active stretching increases flexibility faster. So these are some, I feel like, would you agree, Travis, some of the claims that are thrown around?
1: And in that case, when we're talking about active stretching, we're talking more about like that PNF.
0: Yes, type enough type of Contracting
1: one or the other or both sides of the tissue in an end or end range position.
2: Mm-hmm. Oh, so you just what to was, the, was, question? No, yeah, what was right. the question? What
0: was the question? Yeah the question was, okay, so it's more, it's like relaying that there is this trend toward yeah, yeah. placing more value on active stretching. Mm-hmm. The reasons being, I'd say like two general reasons. One is that passive stretching is kind of fear-mongered about as dangerous. So yeah. I guess that's one point. And may, maybe to ask you if, you if you would agree with that. And then the other point being that active stretching improves flexibility faster anyway. That's the claim. And so we're waste like passive stretching is a waste of time. We should always be actively engaging our muscles when we're stretching. So it's kind of two things. I guess my question is like your opinion on both of those.
2: Man, I've so with any with, with any situation where you're interested in in the risk of something like risk of injury, yeah. it's uh, you know the the, que- the question is just like you know it, it's not binary. It's not is there risk associated with something or is there not? It's a question of how much risk. Yeah. Because like you could you could theoretically hurt yourself doing just about anything, um, cutting the cold meat. Yeah, cutting <laughs> the cold meat. Um, I mean, there there's really high rates of of workplace injury in meatpacking plants. Um, but yeah, no. So uh, yeah, so I would not be surprised if you know people hurt themselves doing doing passive stretching from time to time. Uh, do I think it's a particularly high injury risk no not really um one thing I will note is that and I haven't seen research on this but i I would be surprised maybe if if this wasn't the case to some extent um oftentimes like your your risk of injury can increase just by doing kind of the same thing all the time over and over and right. over right like, you you can just wind up with with overuse type injuries there's a name for that training monotony yeah yeah oh good term and so like i would not be surprised at all if some people who were doing a ton of of passive stretching maybe started accumulating some some injuries or just kind of just little aches and pains they start doing active stretching and they're not seeing those same effects but is that necessarily because passive stretching is better or safer or is it because it's just a novel stimulus? Like it's, they're going away from doing the same thing they were doing for a long, long time. Wow. I sh- I strongly suspect that that that's probably what it is. Um, and and then in terms of rates of adaptation, right? I don't I don't have a strong opinion about that. I'm not. Uh, I'm not immediately aware of research to point to, but Mm -hmm. I I also don't follow the research in that area super closely. But what I will say, and and this is to some extent kind of like an appeal to tradition. So I'm calling myself out on the front end. This is an informal logical fallacy. Do with it what you will. Um, What I'll say is that the people in athletic pursuits that require just tremendous, e- enormous range of motion. All of them do static stretching, one hundred percent, including for sports where the mere practice of the sport could be construed as active stretching. So um you know, like like martial artists, for example, like going through some of the more advanced katas, like th- they demand active uh movement through really long ranges of motion nice. like w- for taekwondo like you can't do a lot of stuff unless you have really really flexible tips somebody in the head yeah and, yeah and just by practicing those kicks like how is that fundamentally different from active stretching totally I, I i can't think of a way that it's fundamentally different from active stretching uh and yet i promise you all of those people are doing uh passive stretching. Like they, they all are. Like I, I don't know I don't know any gymnasts who either don't do or have never done a lot of passive stretching. I don't know any high level martial artists who don't do or have never done a lot of passive stretching. Uh I mean even weightlifting. Like in, in weightlifting mm-hmm. there's a saying the low man wins like uh for the clean and the snatch you're trying to pull the bar as high as possible, but you're also trying to then get your body under the bar as far and as fast as possible. I also don't know any weightlifters who don't do uh, a ton, and I mean, again, I don't know how like a clean wouldn't also just be uh, active stretching. Like right. you're you're right. you're getting way the fuck down there, um, and so yeah, I mean, for for every sport where an enormous amount of flexibility is required you're going to find all of the best people doing some some passive stretching so i like like independent of the rates of adaptation Mm -hmm. i think that if you want to get really 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 flexible there's probably going to need to be some static stretching in there somewhere
0: and that might include certain for yogis certain yoga poses Mm -hmm. that that we could identify as really require like if you would like to embody the quote full shape it really requires Similarly deep amounts of flexibility. Mm-hmm. So that makes, yeah, thank you for sharing that. And kind I, of... I
1: think, too, like, it doesn't obviously have to be one or the other, right? So if yeah. you did a study where you had people passive stretch, active stretch, or both, like, the people who do both are probably going to get the best in, in, in increases in flexibility. And it's hard to, I like... Mean, I I would assume, yeah. yeah. It's hard to, like, how are we... Are we are we saying well you're going to do one group's going to do thirty minutes the other group's going to do thirty minutes and the other group's going to do sixty minutes or are you saying well thirty thirty and then fifteen and fifteen
2: mm-hmm.
1: but it seems like giving yourself more inputs would be beneficial to that, oh, that to that sense. end
2: I mean I, I would think so yeah
0: yeah I wonder where, if, just oh, out
2: of curiosity where um, what is the proposed mechanism people are throwing out for passive stretching being injurious?
0: Thank you for asking that. I think I...
2: Some guy said so.
1: Yeah. Okay. okay. No. I think go, it's... go ahead, Jenny.
0: <laughs> the idea of pulling on tissues being, um, like that that's gonna, I don't know, tear um, fibers or like cause injury in in that sense. You know, like, over stretching is a term thrown yeah. around. like. You're going to pull too far Mm -hmm. and that's going to, I don't know, snap, break some.
1: But also the idea that if you gain crazy amounts of passive, gain flexibility through passive means, then you don't have strength in those ranges of motion.
2: Yeah. Okay. Okay. I, I I can see that to some extent. My rejoinder to that would just be like, how much strength are you really building with active stretching? Like... And you know, I'm saying this as a power lifter, but if you're if you're trying to build strength, like uh, maybe maybe just do some resistance training instead uh, instead if, of
1: like some isometrics.
2: Yeah, or... like if if that's the concern, it, it seems like it's going to get you from point A to point B a lot right, more efficiently.
0: Right, right. Thank you for saying that. Yeah, I mean, I mean
2: if if I'm concerned about the the ability and also uh so that sounds a fair bit like um that sounds that sounds a fair bit like concerns around muscle strains just in in athletics yeah um like you you know like you're a lot of times when that happens it's it's because a tissue that is unable to um like absorb the forces being put through it. In, in this case, it would be just kind of the passive tension of, of going into a really deep stretch. In the case of sports, it's, uh, you know, maybe like a hamstring strain when sprinting, like you're uh, the, the hamstring is in a somewhat elongated position, but then you're trying to put a lot of force through it, uh, like through the ground in your stride. But it, I think it's a, a similar type concept. Um, and what seems to work really, really well for preventing strain injuries is just eccentric resistance training or or resistance hmm. training with an eccentric component. Um, like a, a longer eccentric? Yeah, yeah. And so- oh, Like
0: lengthening it out? Is that what you mean? Like a slower eccentric?
2: Yeah. Phase. And and so, um, I mean, even something like, like PNF style stretching with isometric contractions I don't know that that's going to be as effective for preventing injury risk via that mechanism than just some sort of eccentrically biased resistance exercise would be. And just in general, like going back to the idea of just kind of overuse injuries, I, I, I think that um, I think that that's like a pretty generalizable concept. Like the, yeah. the power lifters I know who are the most injured and broken in their mid thirties are the ones who like only do powerlifting and yeah. don't do pretty much anything else. Uh, they don't ball out like you.
0: Well, on the, on the hoops. Well, they they also oh, like because Greg's they, a basketball player.
2: But like they they don't. Yeah, they don't still play sports. They don't do yoga. They don't even even just shift to some other barbell pursuit for a while. Like they don't dabble in weightlifting. They don't dabble even, in body right. Body. Even people who go back um, and
1: forth between. Yeah. bodybuilding and powerlifting they, they probably are less broken
2: yeah and it's the same thing with runners like a lot of a lot of middle-aged runners aren't doing that well <laughs> uh, but like middle-aged people who do cross training tend to be doing just fine so someone who gets out and runs 100 miles a week versus someone who does a similar overall volume of aerobic training split split mm-hmm. between running swimming cycling uh, the people who do cross training in just about every pursuit, tend to have lower injury risks um, and just tend to, to age more gracefully than people who don't. And so, I'm, I mean, going going back to the idea of, you know, people who are just doing the same type of stuff yeah. a long time. Same
0: yoga practice yeah, for and years and years.
2: And they start accumulating little injuries, little little, like, joint discomforts here and there. Uh, and then they find, oh man, I feel a lot better if I do just some other type of stretching pursuit. Yeah, I, I, I definitely think. Well, that's probably overstating it. I strongly suspect that what they're experiencing is just kind of the generalized benefits of cross training, yes. and that if, and that if instead of doing active stretching, if they were like, hey, I'm gonna go for a jog once a week, or I'm going nice. to lift weights once a week, or whatever. Um, it would probably have similar beneficial effects for them.
0: I love that observation, too, because it doesn't then pick out any one activity as being, like, that the activity is the problem. Yeah. Like, it's not necessarily that yoga or, is the yeah. Or that
1: the thing that you switch to is the answer.
0: Or that the thing that you switch to is this, a, yeah. the
1: sole yeah. answer.
0: Again, it's, like, that binary, like, this is the problem, this is the answer. But it seems like it's about, like, this bigger picture. Mm-hmm. If yoga is all you do, or any activity is all you do, it's not that yoga is the, the enemy.
2: Well, and, and there's also there's also just the concept in the injury literature of um, like injuries relative to exposure. So if right? you if you've done five thousand hours of something and you've gotten injured doing it a few times, you can look back on it and say, "Damn, I got injured <laughs> several times doing this," and then you do. 10 hours of something else. And you're like, man, this makes me feel good. And I haven't got injured doing this. Just think back. And it's like, well, did I get injured in the first 10 hours when I was doing this other thing? Yeah, no, I didn't. It was only after I'd been doing it for 2000 cumulative hours. So, you know, it's it's like scale to exposure. So, I, I mean, there, there are certainly some physical pursuits that are like almost inherently more injurious than right. others. Right. So like, uh, like competitive strongman training. Not good. Uh, I mean, it's it's good in a general sense. Strongman's awesome, uh, but like the research tends to show that like per thousand hours of training, strongman like strongman competitors get hurt way more often mm. than bodybuilders, weightlifters, powerlifters. Wow. Um, so yeah, like even scale to exposure, like a eh, kind of dangerous sport. Uh, but you know, I, I suspect that if you looked at like injury risk in yoga like injuries per thousand hours of participation is probably They're pretty hideously low. Mm-hmm. And so like, is <laughs> that, is, low. is that what hurt you? Or was it just that you engaged in several thousand hours of really any physical pursuit? And I think that's probably what it is.
0: That makes so much sense. I think that that's an important message for people to hear and, and integrate and, um, I think it's it's bigger than just the yoga world, but I know in our kind of more narrow yoga world focus, I I think our community could use to hear that message yeah. more, and that's that's really wonderful. Like there's there's a bigger picture to movement and pain and injury and and cross training is is excellent. And like like we we're all such strength people, but I think we also all wouldn't say the strength is the only path or like the answer for everyone. Mm-hmm. Like it's just if you have these goals, then this is a great means to those goals. For sure. Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, Greg, I feel like so we had kind of a list of some things that we were hoping some questions that you could answer and I feel like you answered all of our questions and more. Were there any lingering like thoughts, Travis, that you can think of that we might or questions we had, or do you think he like more than covered?
1: I think you you outdid
2: yourself. I really do too. Well I, what do you have to say? <laughs> I tried my hardest now <laughs> I, I'm I'm happy to live with the results. <laughs> <laughs>
0: That's amazing. Uh, we just feel we feel so thankful that we got to like have your voice here to have this conversation, and that our audience could be like. So, I know that I know how well known you are, especially in the fitness and the S and C worlds, but in the yoga world, I feel like may, maybe some very. Geeky I, mean, I, I assume
2: no one knows about me. That's, <laughs> <laughs> I, I, you
0: I can don't...
1: fly. You can fly under the radar at, at I, your I, I don't uh, know why local neighbor at your local yoga class.
0: Oh, oh! like if Greg went to a yoga class locally, you don't think he'd be recognized? I mean... Like you would think maybe he wouldn't be recognized.
2: I don't know how well-known you guys think I am. I, <laughs> I fly under the radar in most I believe, gyms.
1: I believe you have the eighth most popular podcast, podcast in on fitness, Apple and fitness and health.
0: There you go. But it's just I, a rumor.
2: I will, I will merely reiterate that I fly under the radar in most gyms. Like most, most lifters don't know who I am
1: only the ones who are really in the know i mean yeah only the cool ones but right. yeah
0: i think it just speaks to like how we can get in our own you know like i don't not echo chambers not the right word but just our own um, segment that we tune into in any in any realm mm-hmm. but i know the fitness world is huge mm-hmm. so maybe we're thinking i don't know evidence based fitness world or i don't know if you think that's a good term for it but or the science based fitness world, maybe when we get more narrow then but you have the eighth biggest most popular podcast in fitness. Although podcast,
2: like people aren't seeing your face on the podcast necessarily. I That's mean, it, it's even the case like within the resistance training world. I feel like once a week, someone's just like, "Hey, I, I heard this thing from this person on TikTok about X, Y, Z about resistance training." I'm like, "I've never heard that thing. I've never heard of this person." And then they send me a link, and it's someone with like three million subscribers. Yeah, just, actually, that happened. I'm just like okay, that happened to like, I me. That happened to on. me
1: today where. I stumbled upon an Instagram account of a physical therapist with eight hundred thousand followers. And mm-hmm. I was like, I've been I've and been doing I've been doing that. this rehab fitness Instagram yeah. thing for a while, and I never heard of this person before. So there's probably like it's a a, it's a an, wide world, entire parallel universe, and maybe Jenny's husband Craig, who does social network analysis, right? Might have actually be better, that. yeah, be able to explain why that is. But
0: but it, yeah, totally. Um, but in our world, uh, we yeah, in our world, Greg's work is like super well respected, you're, and you're famous in our books. So that, we're,
2: that makes me deeply uncomfortable. <laughs>
0: <laughs> we're hoping that our community and our audience of like yoga and movement science minded people will now like be hopefully they'll be exposed to Greg and his work, and um, to consider like I mentioned earlier, like I've learned a ton from. Well, your podcast alone, which that's just free education, but also your mass research review, which I've been a subscriber to for a few years now. It's just uh, for people who are really interested in learning about the strength, the science behind yeah. strength and all the current research. Or
1: his or, macro factor nutrition app, which I'm an avid user of, you and use it, can, it, can say wonderful I, things about.
2: I will say, if you're if if you listen to this and you are. Interested in subscribing to Mass based on this alone? You're like, oh, those, those studies they talked about. That sounds really interesting. D- don't don't do that. That's we <laughs> we, we just discussed 100 of the Mass content output about stretching and flexibility. Oh,
0: you're so. Funny. Um, oh, you're saying you don't cover stretching a lot.
2: Not that often. So if yeah. you're also very interested in strength training or like scientific sports nutrition yeah check it out but if Mm -hmm. if you're like ooh, ooh, this was some cool mass content about stretching let's subscribe to see what other stretching content there is (laughs) there's not any this this was all of it but we we do talk about a lot of other cool stuff
0: absolutely so i highly recommend um and we'll totally put links to all of your all of your offerings in our show notes but just for while listeners are on is there any like one place you'd recommend like your website maybe like, for people to go to to find you?
2: Yeah, check out strongerbyscience.com.
0: Yeah, sign up for their email newsletter, and then you'll just kind of be in the know. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Greg, for having this conversation. I, I learned a lot just just talking too. to you. I know our listeners will. Um, thank you for sharing so much knowledge.
2: Well, thanks for having me on. It was a blast.
0: Yeah. And that wraps up our look at the connection between strength training and range of motion with the amazing Greg Knuckles. Remember to use code PODCAST30 for 30% off your first month in any of the memberships on my website, including Travis's and my Strength for Yoga remote group training program. You can learn more and sign up at JennyRawlings.com, and the link is in the show notes. Thanks again for listening to this episode of Yoga Meets Movement Science today. And if you found this discussion to be of value, you could really support us by subscribing to this podcast and leaving us a rating or a review. We look forward to seeing you in our next episode soon.